Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. If you'll join me today, we'll be in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses seven through 14. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the word of the Lord. You know those conversations that you've had years ago, and at that time, you didn't think that they were significant or stick with you, but for whatever reason, years later, you still reflect upon them? This week, I've had two conversations in my mind that were from years ago. The first one was when I was in seminary, I had a conversation with my friend named Nick. In a sea of people who were serious, like ready to be pastors there in the seminary, Nick and I were a little bit different. We were slightly less mature. For example, we would love to embarrass each other in our classes. So we would be in this smaller classroom, and, and I remember this one day in particular, the professor asked a question. I raised my hand and started talking, and Nick, above the desk, looked really calm, and then he would use his foot to go over to the like, little hydraulic lever so that the more I talked, the slow, I just slowly started moving down, and I kept, and I didn't want to, you know, hit him, so I just kept talking until I was, like, down, like, here, and not to be outdone, I was thinking, like, how can I get him back, and I looked over, and he had this, like, 42-ounce styrofoam cup of iced tea he got from Bush's Chicken, because we were really healthy back then, and I wondered what would happen if I got my pen and just poked a hole at the bottom of it. And what happens is that Nick puts his finger in that hole and has to drink all 42 ounces immediately. So yeah, we were like really mature uh, in seminary. That's That's how we rolled. But while in seminary, Nick for me was like a source of wisdom. He, in many ways, kind of pastored me during those years. And we had one conversation that stays with me. Nick would be talk. He was talking and he shared. You know that. You know that time when Jesus said that narrow is the path and narrow is the gate that leads to life only if you find it. Well, what if, like, what what if he was serious about that? Like, what if he actually meant, like, it's going to require more of me and you to actually experience this life that is life to the full? Like, what what if he was serious about that? And I could tell that there was something about it for him that was actually taking, taking, uh, uh, taking his attention, grabbing a hold of his heart and his mind. So what if Jesus was serious when he said that? I think he was. I think out of compassion and love, 
Jesus says these words as a warning of sorts in the hopes that maybe we would wake up. In the hopes that maybe we would wake up that there is this broad path that leads to destruction and it's just easy to go down that road. But there is this narrow path, this narrow gate that leads to fullness of life and only a few find it. If there is that narrow gate, it's going to require something from us. It will take intention, devotion, sacrifice, and above all, attentiveness. Attentiveness to all the narrow gates that pass by us throughout our days. What are those narrow gates? Well, perhaps it's a moment of beauty that slips by while we're distracted on our phones. Maybe that's a narrow gate, or maybe a narrow gate is also an opportunity to serve someone but we're kind of blinded by our own materialism, by our own wants. A decision that seems small, but we decide not to go for it, and we don't realize it leads to something bigger. Maybe a narrow gate is learning to pause throughout our day so that our minds and our hearts can return to Jesus again and again, narrow gates, leading to a a different kind of life, a full life. I had one of those moments recently, and this, this is a very small way, but... I had a narrow gate moment recently. Um, After a couple layers of sap and dirt and bird droppings on my car, I thought it was time to to wash my car. And I don't actually mind washing my car. I'm the type of person I like to wash the car at home because I kind of like the whole process of, like, getting out the bucket and the soap and the sponge and actually, like, seeing something go from dirty to clean. Like, that sense of accomplishment like it's just, it kind of just soothes me for like a little bit. And so I was out there. I had all my equipment ready. Had my, of course, my, my AirPods in. I was going to catch up on my latest episode of Smartless. And then it happened. They arrived. My five-year-old daughter, Allie, and the girl that lives across the street, her buddy, June, they wanted to help. And for those who are listening to the podcast, the, there are heavy air quotes around the word help. So in that moment, there is like this decision I have. Either one, I try to redirect them and push them to go do something else or just shut them down. Or two, all right, let's do it together, guys. And so that's what I chose to do. Rather than actually try to be efficient and have my little moment where I'm entertained by Jason Bateman's never-ending questions, I can choose that or else I could choose to embrace that there's something more important than efficiency. For me, at the end of that, I began to just think to myself, after we would clean one side of the car and we'd move to the other, and then all of a sudden they're back to that same side of the car that we had just cleaned, and we have to do all it over again. I began to think, watching them play, that the kingdom of God is much like children washing a car. You know it's going to take twice as much time, and it might end up just even more dirty as it began, But the laughter and the inevitable water fight is more important. And for me, that little narrow gate could have slipped past me so easily. I think Nick was right. This is why I remember that simple conversation from over 20 years ago. That broad is the path that leads away from a full life. And I think, like, if we really want to experience the narrowness of goodness, of beauty, of healing and hope, I don't think we can cruise through our days endlessly scrolling on the phone, getting caught up in a world that's living at an inhuman pace, blinded by our own needs, running from appointment to meeting to practice. I don't think we can do that and expect 
to build the habit of finding and entering all the narrow gates that meet us throughout our day. Because if not, we're going to be blind to the subtle undertow from our world that pulls us along the broad path. Left to our own devices and the habits of this world, I think we'll just spend our days half awake, half present, half alive. All these broad roads leading away from the beautiful and the good life that all of our hearts ache for. This narrow path passage, the one that we heard read, this is our scripture reading from the day, is actually located at the very end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Many people believe this is the most important teaching that we have from Jesus, the most comprehensive set of teachings that we have. And this is how the, the Sermon on the Mount ends. It begins with Beatitudes, talking about the blessed are. This is what it means to have a blessed life. And it ends with three different warnings. Three different warnings is how Jesus ends the, the Sermon on the Mount. They are the warnings of Beware of false teachers who try to bastardize the gospel, take it away from the Father. Two, it's not just enough to believe in these teachings. You actually have to go live it out. you got to do it. And then the third warning is this one. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, if you want to experience this blessed life that I started off by talking about, Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, um, you must live with great attentiveness. You must learn to seek the right thing. That is why we're having this series, Seek First. As the fall is now kicking off, I'm going to use the word fall even though it's like still 100 degrees. As the fall is now in full swing, and many of the habits and the rhythms are clicking back on, as a church, we're going to, we're going to call a timeout. We're going to call a timeout, and we're going to stop and think. Take an, take an actual honest inventory of, what am I seeking right now? What are the habits and the rhythms of my life? What are they actually pursuing? And is, am I actually seeking first the things that, that matter? So we're going to have seven different conversations in this series that depict these two different paths, a broad path and a narrow path. And it'll give us the opportunity to really take account of the choices that we intentionally or unintentionally make throughout our days that determine what kind of life we will experience. And out of all the choices to begin that conversation, a fundamental choice that we have is what we're going to talk about today is seeking the living Jesus and not empty religion. I can actually question if I like this title um, because I think many of us would say like the idea of like seeking religion is not something that many of us are trying to do. Like there's, I don't meet many people who are like, I'm going to try to be more religious in my life or, you know, like the idea of religion or religious is so out of fashion, you know, because let me just demonstrate it. Um, finish the sentence. I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Like, I think that's the trade-off that we have in our culture today. And I kind of get it. Like, religion is really good at being concrete. You know, like, religion really creates, like, the belief system, the structure, the institution that we have, that we've adapted towards. But spirituality kind of is just a lot more amorphous. It's a lot more... Uh, broad, it's difficult um, to understand what we're talking about. And I get why we are pushing away from religion because in many ways um, we've seen what religion has done, good and bad. We have seen the negative sides, how religion has fueled some of the bloodiest battles in our history, how it can be abused, how religion can be weaponized and control people, how 
Religion also can create a very clear inside-outside, uh, whoever is inside and outside mentality. But if I can defend religion for a second, religion is also really good at giving us words and experiences of a life with God. It actually helps us understand a tradition from which people have encountered God again and again. It's a story of how people have met and walked with God. On the other hand, spirituality is a lot more difficult to pin down. When I talk to people who are spiritual, not religious, for me, it's helpful for me to like drill down on what that actually means. For some, being spiritual means connecting with nature or connecting uh, with, with yoga or their own body. Some people, their spiritual practices are of meditation, of prayer. I have some friends who their, their spirituality includes psychedelics and mushrooms. Spirituality can also, I mean, in many ways, it can mean almost anything. Some of those practices are helpful, but some of those spiritual practices can just be as empty and as hollow as religion. It is just as possible to have empty spirituality as it is to have empty religion. The broad path, I think, is littered with both empty religion and hollow spirituality. And Jesus here makes a claim, makes a claim that's countercultural for us in our day, but it's one that we must consider. It goes against the way of contemporary preferences because Jesus is saying something exclusionary in nature. If we want to experience the fullness of life, connected with the way in which God has created us, if we want to actually experience that, we need to know and to seek Jesus. In John's gospel, Jesus makes this claim. This is in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What Jesus is saying here is salvation on this side of life and the other is for those who have learned what it means to enter into the gate, which is Christ, which is through Jesus. And Jesus gives us this warning that there's this thief that's out there to kill life, destroy life. And Jesus is saying that I have come so that you might enter into life and life to the full. Now, if we pair John 10 and Matthew 7, these readings that we're talking about today, if we pair them together, it's really interesting how these stories, or these teachings interact with each other. What we find here, Jesus is talking about a gate that leads to life and salvation. And there is a narrowness to it. There is, there's something really, it's narrowing for us. And what's helpful for me is that when I think about this, the exclusive nature of this, we also need to know that the narrowness is pointing to Jesus, who's also radically inclusive. Jesus, who actually went outside the boundaries and borders of every expectation to draw more and more people to into this life and a life with God. And as Christ followers, fundamentally, we believe the purposes of Jesus' life was to create a way for us to know what it means to be fully alive, to experience wholeness and healing through and through, to experience significance and forgiveness and wholeness. This claim is not only challenging for our culture, but it was also the reason why Jesus was killed. When Jesus began to be in the public eye, he began to call out the emptiness of religion. 
He began to call out how the religious system was oppressive. It moved people away from wholeness and healing. And so over and over again, Jesus began to call in many many ways that religion can be the broad path leading to destruction. It can be hollow and empty. And instead, Jesus invites people to follow him instead. One of my favorite moments is when Jesus walked into this, this festival, this religious service, and walked in, and it all was around this idea of being thirsty. And Jesus stops the service and says, is anyone really thirsty? Does anyone have a longing for something more? Perhaps something that this religious experience isn't doing? Come to me. I can actually... I can actually provide you water that flows from within that can satisfy you from the inside out. Jesus, of course, upset everyone. And you can find this phrase throughout the Gospels is whenever he makes claims like this, oftentimes it's followed by those religious leaders trying to plot and find a way to kill him. That's the reason, one of the the reasons why Jesus was killed is because he threatened the hollowness of religion and all it benefited. And so we find Jesus, though, trying to redirect people into this narrow gate around empty religion so that they can find fullness of life with him. And that audacious claim still remains for us today, that Jesus, the good shepherd, longs to lead us into the fullness of life. And this is where I want to meddle a little bit. This invitation of fullness and salvation is not just like a one-time decision Every day, every day we will make unknown number of decisions, choices, whether or not we are entering into this narrow gate, whether we do that or we just go with the flow. As followers of Jesus, we need to hear this message. Having religion become empty and hollow is not just an ancient Hebrew thing. It's not just a Jewish problem. But we too can take this precious, beautiful, good news, this experience of God, and it can become hollow, empty. For those who identify as having a Jesus-centered spirituality or religion, we can take something vibrant and turn it into something hollow and empty. I think it's so easy for us to get lulled to sleep in that way. It's so easy for us to have our faith devolve into just a system of beliefs. It can eventuate in being a part of a church community or being a moral good person. That could be how it ends for us. That could be the sole focus of our attention. And in doing so, we can just walk this broad road without realizing it's not leading us to the fullness of life. There's this narrow gate that it's easy to miss. And it, for me, begins with this, that Jesus is not just some biblical character. He's alive. He's at work in this world. He cares deeply for you. The living Savior whose spirit is alive and active in this world. I, for me, I was uh, confronted with my own broad road when I was 20, about 21 years ago. I went to Cuba. This was uh, taken way back when. As you can tell, my hairstyle has changed a lot since then. My jawline is less pronounced, but we don't have to talk about that. But when I was, uh, this was also when I was in seminary, I was, had the opportunity to travel to Cuba. This was before Americans were allowed to travel, but you could do so for educational or religious or uh, philanthropy uh, reasons. And so I went there for, uh, to study churches in a communist country. And so some, some people in seminary, we traveled to different church communities in and around Cuba. This was outside Havana. I sat down with this man, 
his office. There was four of us that had this time to sit down with him and visit with him. And he began to tell the story of how he planted this church in that region. He said, I, ch- I felt really called to go to this community. I went there and began to preach the gospel, getting to know people one by one. And I was warned that there is this man who's powerful in witchcraft, who really controls that community, and it's best for me to keep moving. But I really felt called to it, and so I continued to meet people, began to gather them in a group. And then one day, uh, some men came to my house and pulled me outside and beat me and said, if you don't leave this town, we're going to kill you and your family. But I felt called to this. Jesus had led me there. And so it kept happening, where he kept gathering people and It's almost like the more bloody he became, the more he was beat, the more people were intrigued by why is this man risking his life for this? And so the church began to grow, spilled outside this little building that he had until one night he was was preaching and the windows were open and the place was full and people were standing outside the windows just to hear what was going on inside. And there was this wrestling he could hear outside. And then all of a sudden this man who ran this community out of fear, came in with a bunch of his cronies. And he said, I knew why they were there that night. It was to kill me. It was to pull me outside and make a, make a demonstration that you don't ignore them. And so this man began walking to me, and the place was just rustling. And he said, he said, all I knew to do is just to pray. And so I closed my eyes, and I prayed, Jesus, living God, do not let him win. Do not let evil win. Protect me. Protect my family. Let your gospel be preached. And he said as he was preaching, uh, as he was praying, he began to realize that the room had gone silent. And so I imagine him with like a cracked eye. He kind of looks over at him. And this man is standing three feet away, and he's shaking. And he looks at him and says, who is this God you pray to? I physically can't move one step closer to you. And there that night, in front of this whole community, this man repented of everything. He sought forgiveness. He gave himself over to Christ, and everything changed in that small town. I'm on the other side of this desk, and I have like little Jesus bumps, right? Like it's like, whoa, especially because I'm like 25 three and zealous. I'm like, whoa. And then I asked, like, how did you get to the point where you could actually trust God in that way? Like, to actually believe that God moved in power. And he said, I was, at that time, I was praying two hours a day. And I mentally said, and what else? Right? Because like, <laughs> is there something else other than praying two hours a day? And I don't know, like, what, but he looked at me and said, are you not happy with that answer? And I said, well, you know, he goes, you probably don't care to pray two hours a day because your God is dead. And I kind of felt the blood rush out of my head. And all of a sudden, after I looked past the fact that he was actually condemning and judgmental, whatever, there was a little bit of accuracy with it. I remember that conversation, though it happened 20-plus years ago. Because I think, uh, oh, by the way, this picture was taken before he told me my God was dead. I think that's, uh, <laughs> I think that could be expected. But once I got past that, you know, the, the feeling of being humiliated, I think there's a bit of accuracy because 
I think his experience and my experience are broadly different because for me, following Jesus can ultimately be about morals and goodness. And for him, it is walking with a living God who wants to save your life, save your life physically and spiritually. For him, the thing that he is seeking first is Jesus. And it's so much harder in America because our faith is intertwined with our wealth and power and culture and materialism and the American dream. Like we just kind of want it all. And we, it's hard to know what we're seeking sometimes, what we're seeking first. And I personally, I, I, at that time and still some days today, I shrug at the idea of extended prayer with God because sometimes I forget that God is alive. And my prayer is just this awkward monologue I have by myself. How would I pray differently if I actually believed that Jesus was alive and active and could do things in this world, concerned with my life, concerned with those who are in need in this world today, and powerful? The same goes with how I would meditate on Scripture. What if I actually believed that the same spirit that animated Jesus, that, that, actually, that actually inspired the words of God, could actually speak to me? How different would I how would I read Scripture if I actually believe that? How would I worship differently if I actually believe that God, the creator of everything, wants to hear my words and my voice seeing who God is? That's why this is so different than this weird churchy sing-along, is that God is active and loves to hear his beloved praise him and sing to him and thank him and declare who he is. Like, everything shifts when we remember that Jesus is alive. When we are seeking the living Christ, not just empty religion, everything changes. How would, how would I preach differently if I didn't see this as an opportunity to, like, win you over to some sort of thought or trying to convince you, but I actually believe that that there's a longing that you have for the living God and God takes broken people and broken messages like this and somehow feeds people's souls in spite of the person that's here. Like everything would change if we actually remembered that Jesus was alive and active in this world. And I want to say this over you all this morning and kind of over myself, if I'm honest, that there is nothing that God wants more. There's nothing that God is more eager to give you than the living Christ. There's no gift that God wants to give you more than knowing and walking with the living Christ. This is what Jesus, in Matthew 7, what he says, like how much more is your Father in heaven wanting to give you good gifts for those to ask him? I think many of us... (laughs) have a low-grade case of spiritual boredom, if we're honest. We have a low-grade case of spiritual boredom because we've grown content. We've grown content. We don't ask for more of God. We've grown content with just a little, just a little bit of hope, just a little bit of connection with God, just a a glance of prayer, just just a small experience of community. We have just enough to live off of from our past. We have grown content with compartmentalizing Jesus in our little spot that he belongs in. Instead, Jesus longs to give us what we truly need. If only we would ask for it. If only we would long for it. If only we would seek it above all else. For those who are spiritually bored, going through the motions and wondering if there is more, today I would just invite you, ask. Ask to experience and to know the living God again. 
He wants to give you all you need. He, he wants to usher you through that narrow gate into a life, like a, a vibrant life. If you're willing to seek it, he is eager to provide. Perhaps you've been on the outside of this relationship with the living God. And you've maybe looked at religion and you're not sure if it's for you. You've never ventured off a broad road. I just want you to know that Jesus wants you to enter into a narrow gate. A narrow gate that he is opening with love and compassion for you today. Maybe you've been burned by the church. You've rejected empty religion altogether. But there's this longing for something more. You've ached for something more. Jesus wants you to know that that broad road that maybe you've experienced is nothing that he's intended to be it for all of you. That there is this narrow path that you can explore again. Don't give up. Christ hasn't given up on you. My prayer is that for these seven weeks is that we would stop and we'd really consider what we are seeking. Because there's something I know for, for sure is that Christ is longing to be found. This is where all the narrow gates are are open wide, is that Jesus, the living one, is with you and he wants to lead you into the fullness of life. So may we learn to seek it. May we learn to seek it wholeheartedly. May we learn to walk with the living God and reject all the emptiness and hollowness of religion and spirituality to remember that God is alive and he wants you to know him. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.